Throughout our life, we make all kinds of connections. From our neighbors to our co-workers, from family members to people we interact with in business every day. What about the connections we make to ourself? Today, we'll explore the connections that we make and how they define our lives. This is Things Worth Considering with hosts Gord Riddell and Dr. Jan Hill. It's time to listen and learn. Hi there, and welcome to Things Worth Considering. I'm Gord Riddell, and I'm here with my ever-curious and splendid co-host, Dr. Jan Hill. Thanks. Hi, Jan. Thanks. How are you? I'm great, thanks. How are you doing? Yeah, good, good. How's good. your week? Good. Really? Yeah. Wow. You're one of the few. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, so uh, we're talking about myths that we love by, the agony and the ecstasy of weeness. Mm. Weeness. That's weeness with one E. <laughs> Why don't you, it sounds very Scottish, the weeness. That's right. Why don't you tell us about that? What does weeness mean? Oh, okay. So weeness is one of those terms that seems to float around. It's a trendy term these days. And it refers really to this kind of special kind of consciousness that uh, uh, we like to think we have or we're growing into, where we recognize that we are not just isolated individuals plugging through our life alone and that social Relationships are super important, and weeness reflects this idea of interdependence as opposed to codependence. Okay. Um, and connection, right? Connection is good, and that we mutually influence each other. There's this mutual influence of okay. each other, right? So, so this is this is a whole this is a whole uh, new new word. Yeah. Because you know my experience with the word we is when people get into even if they're just dating, and it's their second date. And suddenly we become the, the royal we. I no longer exist. I am not going to the island. We are going to the island. We are having a mm. picnic. We, everything just becomes we. And there's just, you know, just that sort of urge to merge. You know, um, it's like, where's the individuality here with these people? Yeah, so that this, that's the idea that two people become one, right? Which is fits into our real, like our myth of romantic love in a way, which we're, which we're going to talk about a little later on. But this whole idea that two people meld together and they just become one entity. So the we-ness idea is a little bit different than that, right? It's the idea that two uh, individual people who see themselves as being individual, but recognize that they have a mutual connection to one another and they influence each other, um, where they come together and they have a shared sense of connection. So uh, person A keeps their identity, person B keeps their identity, they have their boundaries, they have their preferences, they have their everything that makes them you. And then they come together and they create a sort of a sacred connection. And so that sacred connection, that space between them that's shared by both is the place of we. Okay. So that, that doesn't sound like kinda, a relationship. That sounds kind of healthy. <laughs> sounds too healthy to be a it relationship. It sounds too healthy to be a relationship. Exactly. Right. Exactly. That's sort of what I'm what I'm thinking. Mm-hmm. Is uh are you sure that's what it is? <laughs> I think this is all uh, part of the movement of conscious coupling. Right. So Okay. Right. So that goes well, back to these ideas that we can we can, we can learn how to be in relationships differently. Right. Okay, so let's let's you know sort of let's just back up for one second here. We want to really emphasize that this isn't what we're talking about isn't just about um, relationships that that are romantic or anything of the sort. What we're we're talking about is completely uh, we're always in a relationship, right? Yeah. Because you know, okay, so what is what are relationships such as? Um, our professional relationships, our parents, our brothers, our sisters, like the whole family thing, uh, our friends. Uh, if we belong to a spiritual group, that's another another set of relationships. Yeah. We're never not in a relationship. I think that's what's really important to remember because most of the time when people say, are you in a relationship, we're usually referring to an intimate sexual relationship. Right. Right. And, that's, and so they'll say no, but in fact... We're always in relationship, and there is expectations, I think, in terms of, like, qualities and stuff like that that, you know, exist in our best friends, our friends, our workers, you know, all of those. In fact, if we acted, you know, somewhat the same way with all of them, life might be a little bit easier, actually. Mm-hmm. But uh, we have a tendency not to. Because mm-hmm. um, <laughs> how our behavior, how we act 
in uh, in the context of those relationships is often context specific because one thing that we would do in one relationship might not be appropriate in another. Exactly. Right. Exactly. I tend to think of relationships in like using an ecological model. So if you imagined, if you imagine in your mind's eye a giant target like a dartboard, right, and you, there you are in the middle, and okay. you can draw circles around yourself, right. The people who are closest to you, where who might see you in your greatest repertoire of behaviors, right? So right. they might see you when you're freaking out. You might see <laughs> you, you know, when you've lost your mind. They might see you when you're yet your most loving and your kindest version of yourself. You know, they see you in all sorts of ways. Those are the people who would be closest to you in that diagram. So they're they're right next to the bullseye. Okay. Right. And then maybe the next. The next circle around that, that might be your coworkers or they might be your extended family or they might be people that you you have uh, another kind of a relationship with, which is has its own levels of intimacy. But they're only going to see part of your repertoire of behavior. So they're not going to see all of who you are. Right. Right. And then you go beyond that and you might have, I don't know, people in your community, your neighbors, whatever it is. Right. Whatever your the clubs that you belong to. And those people you just might share certain behaviors with, like maybe you belong to, I don't know, a rifle club or maybe you belong to a canoe club. A rifle or, club. I don't know where that came from. Right? I, it just I, came I, out of my head. That. Right. So, um, <laughs> you know, like who knows. Right. And, and then you would engage in a very limited number of sort of repertoires of self there. Right. Of yep. Types of yourself. Yep. And then. You know, you can take it to the logical, logical extreme, and we can talk about national communities where you wouldn't even know people that you're having, that you're involved in a social dynamic with, right? right. If you imagine your connection to other people to say, oh, you know, um, um, I, as a Canadian, I would imagine what other Canadians are like, right? That we have this imagined identity, or as an American, we have this imagined identity that we share with other Americans. Exactly. Or even if you're on the, to the, you know, if you're into the whole alien thing, it's like <laughs> us as Absolutely, a community on the planet, the right. earthling, the, the imagined earthling community. Earthling community. All right? 7 billion of us. That's right. And we share a lot of traits. And have all these relationships. <laughs> Yes. Right? We're caught up in this network of social dynamics. Okay. Unavoidable. So let's let's come back to a little closer to home. Uh-huh. Maybe the people that are kind of in that bullseye group. <laughs> right next to the bullseye? Because you know what? The alien thing isn't going to work here right now. No. Can no, we do a show too, on aliens? I know you really feel I it. Well, you're just feeling aliens. alienated right now. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So... Um, <laughs> If we look at relationships, I think, you know, there's some qualities that, uh, you know, exist or ideally exist in all relationships. And it mm-hmm. doesn't matter. This is, can be coworkers or this can be, be our close friends. This can be our intimate relationships. Or with aliens. <laughs> no, no aliens. So let's have some respect. <laughs> I think respect is number one. And that is the people that are close to us and especially the people that we become intimate with, we have to respect. Sure. So let me ask you this question. What does respect mean? Well, I think to, to hold it like words like, you know, to have uh, positive regard for the person, to understand as best we can in someone else's shoes, uh, who they are on the planet, to accept who they are on the planet, you know, to accept they're an alien? No. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Off the planet. But I think those 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 kinds of things, because so often, you know, I encounter people that are with their partner, their spouse, their whatever language that they're using, and I just feel that they just have no respect. They they speak quite poorly about them, or they speak down about them, or they make sideways comments about them, like not that there's any anger involved in their relationship. Uh, but that's another show in itself. Mm. But, you know, I don't, you know what it feels like to me? It mm. feels like it lacks connection. Interesting. So what I'm hearing you say that respect can show up as a feeling. We can call it a feeling, like a general feeling that you have towards somebody. But it shows up in terms of the behaviors towards somebody. I think so, yes. How you actually behave towards them. Yes, Yes. Right. Yeah. I mean, if if you have self-respect, there's certain behaviors are involved in that place. You know, if you respect if you respect yourself and your health, then you're going to eat properly. You're going to exercise. You're going to, you know, all all of those kinds of things. Keep your mind active. Uh, and I think the same is true in, in with other people. Is that 
I don't think a lot of the times uh, the people have respect for one another, mm. you know, and I think that really gets in the way of having any sort of connection. I mean, this show is about connections, you know, with ourselves and, and other people in that I think respect has to begin before anything else does. Because if you're going to, you can't trust. There are people who trust implicitly the moment they meet somebody. Mm -hmm. And they, you know, we've all been on the airplane, the person who just does, so wants to tell you their entire story from start to finish. You know, on, on an overseas flight, and you're just like suicidal by the end of it. At least I am. I'm rude now. Right. So, you're rude. I, I don't let that. I don't let that happen. You, you're not rude. You have boundaries. I have big boundaries. Yeah. <laughs> so, okay. So this is what I'm wondering, Gord. Yep. Is respect just something that happens, or are there conditions that are implicit in building respect? So I think, for example, like trust. Well, I think I think there's does trust there's, build respect, or does respect build? Trust? I think respect builds trust. I don't think it's the other way around because Hi. I think trust. More of us have difficulty trusting others than we would ever have respecting others. Trust is something that is a, a gradual process. You know, I think that trust builds from starting with respect. I think then in, in our interactions, then we have to have people that are consistent. We, these, are the, mm -hmm. these are my two big words of developing trust is consistency and congruency. So when someone has, has those two things, so consistency is if you say you're going to do something, you have to follow through. You've got to do it, you know. Um, in other words, walking your talk, all right. Mm -hmm. no, nothing, you know, as soon as I begin to see that someone says one thing and does something differently, that consistency isn't there. My growth of trusting them goes down substantially, it's like, no, I can't trust that this person is going to come through. And that, that, whether that's in business or in my private life. Congruency is if you, if you say something, you have to mean it. It's not lip service. So if you, if you say it, you got to mean it. Okay, so I was going to argue with you. Yep. But I was going to, because there's just a gut feeling that, in fact, it's respect grows out of these things. So respect is not a precondition necessarily. So I was going to argue that, but I think you've actually convinced me okay. um, that you're right about that, except I'm going to have one proviso. I don't want you to agree with me. I don't. <laughs> I mean, well, it's okay. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to keep one proviso. Okay. I'm going to say that I think those things are mutually constitutive. So meaning basically that, for example, consistency and trust builds respect which then builds consistency and trust. So they mutually constitute each other. Well, I think it's a back and forth thing. You know, I respect I respect you as a human being. Thanks, Gord. Because you're on our planet right now. That's but the only reason? It's well, yeah, and you're a girl. Okay, thanks. Okay. So okay. my I have a I have utmost respect <laughs> for that. Okay. But I don't trust you. Huh. Because you haven't given me any reason yet. There hasn't been an interaction. So, so I, I mean, maybe I'm talking uh, in a larger scale, but I respect your presence on the planet. You know, I would never want to hurt you. Okay. All right. But, you know, when I hand you over and say, here, could you watch my wallet, my children, and my car, which is running, uh, will I go over here? No, because there's no trust there. I don't know who you are. So okay. there's an element of, you know, trust, trust has to come out of, you know, I think, I think the, the big problem is, is that we've hmm. almost developed a, a, uh, uh, automatic trust mechanism. And I think that's where we get into a lot of danger hmm. is, is for instance, you know, people, people who just implicitly trust other people are often, often wind up really being hurt simply because of the fact they reveal too much you know, we all have Presume, privacies, yeah. we all have secrets, you know, the secrets aren't great, but the privacy part, uh, and then suddenly it's, it's all over the internet or it's being told or, or mm -hmm. whatever. In other words, the, the, the trust wasn't placed, it wasn't earned and it wasn't, and it was just placed in the wrong, uh, with the wrong person. Okay. I'm going to think about this more. I think we need to do a whole show on this too. Aliens and this. <laughs> he said, she said. It's a feeling, it feels to me like it's a little more complicated. It is complicated. Yeah. It is. Right? I mean, you know, we've only got so much time here to to yeah. put that out there. But, you know, trust is, is, is disproportionately given to people that we don't know. Yep. I would agree with that. All right. So it's then 
what I've done is then, then how do I arrive at trusting somebody? So, all right, the, what, the, the, first, the first condition that I start with is, is that unless you give me otherwise, I respect you as a human being. Right. I respect that we're walking in the same town, in the same place, and on the same planet most days. Okay. <laughs> All right. So then from there, it's kind of like, okay, so then I accept you. I, uh, I have respect for you. I hold positive regard. I, I have no, no uh, judgments around anything that you're doing or, or anything like that. Uh, and so therefore, out of that slowly, as I get to know you, then unless something else comes into play, I'm going to begin to, to develop some sort of a trust for you. And trust then becomes the basis of the relationship, you know. Now, unfortunately, we're coming up to needing to take a little break here already. Mm, that was fast. This just zooms along, you wow. know. Uh, so um, on that, uh, we're uh, going to take a break, and we're going to come back with more things that are worth considering. on Facebook along with some of the greatest minds of the world and that includes you visit us on Facebook at Voice America Empowerment imagine a place where ancient wisdom and modern research combine to create a non-judgmental dynamic educational environment we believe learning is much more than just theories it is the application of those theories that anchor your learning deep inside yourself our physical, emotional, intellectual, and spiritual selves are embraced and nurtured, learning how to create an internal balance. This is Transformational Arts College of Spiritual and Holistic Training. Since 1988, we continue our mission of spiritually focused education for all who seek. We offer integrative personal development and professional training in spiritual psychotherapy, holistic health care, spiritual director, coaching, and esoteric studies. We are located in Lawrence Park in Toronto on Young Street, north of Lawrence Avenue. It's easy to get to and harder to leave. Visit our website at transformationalarts.com or inquire at TAC at transformationalarts.com or call us toll free at 1-888-TAC-SELF. Transformational Arts, bringing body, mind, and spirit together. Become a member of VoiceAmerica.com. It's easy and best of all, it's free. Start out by going to our homepage or any of our channels and click register at the top. Once you've created an account and signed in, you can create your own custom library, opt into our newsletter, search by show, host, guest, or topic of interest, or browse millions of hours of content across all of our Voice America radio channels. Membership gets you more. Visit VoiceAmerica.com today to get started and tailor the listening experience to your taste. We're on Facebook along with some of the greatest minds of the world, and that includes you. Visit us on Facebook at Voice America Empowerment. You are listening to Things Worth Considering with Gord Vidal and Dr. Jan Hill. We'd love to hear from you via email to info at spiritgrows.ca. That's info at spiritgrows.ca. Now, back to Things Worth Considering. Hi, welcome back. Uh, we're here at uh, Things Worth Considering. Um, and uh, we're talking about relationships. We're talking about the great myths of relationship and all the things that uh, get into problems for us. Uh, so we were talking about uh, sort of some qualities of relationships, right? Uh, and we, we were talking a lot about trust and building of trust and positive regard and acceptance and so on. So some other ones, though, that I think are really important for certainly for me, it's humor that, you know, yes. people have to that, you know, the people that I hang out with have to be able to laugh. Yep. If nothing else, they have to laugh at me <laughs> <laughs> because I laugh at me all the time. We do laugh at you, Gord. I know. I yeah. know. Oh, really? Oh, my yeah, God. we laugh with you and we laugh at now. you. Can you call my therapist? <laughs> <laughs> uh, humor is so important to me. Yeah. Uh, and. You know, when I'm with somebody, I also just want to feel pleasure. I want to feel just sure. pleasure in their presence, not that they are pleasuring me or anything. I'm mm -hmm. talking about actually, you know, just that they're pleasurable to be with. Mm -hmm. You know, I think there's also some other stuff too, though. Yep, like a willingness to change. I think of yes. that as like a growth mindset, right? 
Yep. Especially in an yep. abiding relationship, if you're going to be with somebody for a long period of time or over many years, yep. right? Then you have to have a willingness to change, change together and change apart. Well, exactly. You know, it. I mean, there's that, that sort of funny, funny little story of, uh, you know, when it comes to the wedding day, you know, he, we're going to talk heterosexual here. He is is absolutely doesn't want to change a thing and she's like the moment the rings on the finger i can get him to change ha. and i think that you know it's a generalized happens in in both you know same sex and opposite sex but one person is invested in getting the other person to change and that that just violates everything we just talked about or maybe one ter- one person themselves changes faster well, and what they notice part. is that the other person doesn't change quite as fast, and they feel slowed down. By well, I mean, I think that's one part, but I think that people people get invested in, I can get him to change. Sure. And sure. I think that's dangerous. Yeah. You know, because where does the acceptance come from? Yes. There's like, there's no acceptance there. Which is important. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Well, mm-hmm. from what we just talked about, yeah, I think so. Yeah, very important. Yeah. I mean, where's the empathy here? Right. But I think, I think... I think it's important to recognize that part of our sort of stereotypical myths of gender is this idea that women want to change men. And maybe like there's another way to tell that story. Right. And that is perhaps that some people are more change resistant than others. Some people are greater risk takers than others. And so when you put somebody who's change oriented in a relationship with somebody who's change resistant. Right. That, in fact, it uh, it it creates its own very complicated dynamic right Extremely. and I, I i would i don't think that that's necessarily a gendered thing because i think what ends up happening is if we want to gender it that men have different opportunities often in their life right that are separate from their relationship yeah. to to manifest change like in their work life and stuff like that right mm-hmm. and perhaps Women who may be more connected, maybe more connected to the domestic sphere and perhaps to the relationship, which is a part of that domestic sphere, have greater limitations in terms of how they can actually manifest change. Sure. Right. So they might just focus it all on their partner or focus chunks of it on their partner. Right. 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 I don't know. Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, we, we talked about it in an earlier show, you know, the, the whole thing about there were the survivors of the risk averse group mm. that that were our ancestors that got us to this point in the first place. Mm-hmm. You know, when we talked about negativity mm-hmm. that, you know, we have a natural uh, bent towards the negative only because it has enhanced us. Mm-hmm. You know, so to be risk averse also meant that we didn't pull up the tribe and move them downstream when we didn't know what was going to happen down there. Right. And the irony is that in relationships, you have to demonstrate a willingness to show your emotions, which is a risk. Oh, a huge risk. Mm-hmm. A huge risk. And, and that, that comes back to, you know, sort of that, that trust piece again is the risk is to show our emotions where our emotions are thrown back in our face. Right. And I think everyone understands that one. Right. You know? And it actually also fits into this idea of we have to have a willingness to admit that when we're wrong, even if it's very rare, right, <laughs> to be able to, to own you. our piece of that. And, you are right um, so often. Yeah. Not. I know. It's very challenging. To sometimes. <laughs> it's very challenging to be so right. I know. But swallowing our pride and admitting that we're wrong and apologizing in, in a believable way, not just a, yeah, oh, okay, yeah, so, sorry, is not, is, that's just not an apology. Yeah, but, apo- and, yeah, apologizing in a, in a way that has integrity, right? That has integrity, in that way. has, uh, the, the right. person actually believes, or makes me believe that they really are yeah. wrong. No. <laughs> yeah, which also fits into this idea that couples that are, or, or dynamics, uh, people who are in relationship dynamics with one another, if they have a shared vision and they understand the meaning, like a shared meaning of that vision yep. and what they mean to each other in, in each other's lives, that those people will often be able to manage some of the things that happen in life along the way. They will, but that's also, that's also, though, uh, where they become very invested in the goals of the vision. And so much energy goes into getting the house paid off, getting mm-hmm. the kids into good colleges, not through what's happened in, mm-hmm. you know, with the college thing right now, uh, with uh, getting them in under false pretenses. I'm talking about, you know, making sure that they're tutored, that they're, they're in, the, you know, the best schools that they can get into. Uh, and then off they go. And we look across and we look at our partner and go, who the hell is this? Right. So I think that in creating this shared vision, 
and understanding the shared meaning of things, right? If you're in that kind of relationship with somebody, then then what you're actually lacking in that relationship is the uh, shared vision around what your relationship actually means and what it actually is, right? Because then you have other people who might be very successful in their material um, in their material daily life, right? But they also have a shared vision of what they want their relationship to be, which could be something as simple as, you know, I want to be one of those people who lasts 40 years or 50 right. years, right? Well, rela- relationships require, it's like a child. It requires a lot of energy, mm-hmm. you know, uh, ongoing. It's like uh, somebody used that analogy of there's, you know, the one energy and the other energy and their energy together creating the relationship is actually the child. That's mm-hmm. a, the creation that comes from, from the two yeah. people. And I think this is a relatively new interpretation of what relationships are all about. The intrapersonal, the emotional piece that goes along with relationships is pretty new in the West because historically relationships were, um, especially marriage, were really about the exchange of property amongst families. Well, I I mean, you can still really see that in in the royal families Mm -hmm. uh, of Europe. You know, uh, if you if you look at like Queen Victoria, God love her. She had her all her brew of children and she sent them out and married them into all of these these families. So you have the unfortunately the deceased Russian czar. Uh, You have the reigning king of Norway, the reigning king of Sweden. You have, and they're all related to Queen Elizabeth, the the, the royal family in Spain. They're all connected. Prince yeah. Philip's uh, from the royal family in Greece, Greece mm-hmm. and Denmark. You know, they're, they're deposed, but but he's still part of that family. Mm-hmm. You know, and they're all connected through Victoria. Now that woman knew what she was doing. She, she was, was an more alien. than a grandmother. She manipulated that whole thing. Yeah, she you was know. an alien. <laughs> she, she, <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. The she she was. She she reigned a long long time too, um, <laughs> and had a lot of children, but. All of these people, and all that was was about maintaining their presence, their power, land, you know, all of those kinds of things. So, you know, you it's changing somewhat, but, you know, families still arrange in, in different cultures mm-hmm. today for who their little boy and their little girl are going to be marrying. Yeah, so it has very little to do with love and romance, which is part of the ideology that we've created around, I think, just attraction. Oh yeah, right. yeah, absolutely, absolutely. It's uh, you know, it, it, you know, when it's all set up for you, um, it must it must be very scary to suddenly just have this person arrive that you're supposed to be marrying that you've really never met before. You know, I mean, I've heard I've heard women talk that you know said that they grew to love that person. You know, mm-hmm. they they the idea of walking out on it or anything, you know, it wasn't a possibility for them, you know, at, at all. But uh, you know, the whole yeah, just that whole idea is just like quite amazing, actually. Mm-hmm. You know, I couldn't imagine. I couldn't imagine saying, "Oh, by the way, here's here's who you're going to marry," uh, two days before the marriage mm-hmm. when they fly in. Right. It still happens. It still happens. Of course, to this day. it does. And you know, part of it is the reason that perhaps we can't imagine it is it's not part of certainly isn't part of my cultural legacy, right? So, but if you are with if you live within a culture where that's an expectation, then. Well, it is. I, I guess it's, you know, not everyone buys into it, though. Yeah. Let's, let's face it. I mean, but you treat of, it as more normative, right? It, it feels more normative. So let's talk about attraction. Okay. Okay. What do you think about attraction? Well, it's attractive. <laughs> <laughs> you ever notice, Gord, that you're attracted to the same kind of person over and over and over? I used to. Uh-huh. I used to. You know, you absolutely, absolutely. I mean, so, so many people, when, you know, when I'm lecturing or whatever, and we talk about this, it, it's just like... We, you know, we date the same person over and over, and the only thing that changes usually is the name. Mm-hmm. But I have also had people that said, "Well, um, I was I was in a relationship with John, and then John, <laughs> and then John three, yeah. um, uh, you know, Jeff one, Jeff two. It, it's like seriously. So that 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 int- attraction." You know, criterion that we have is so embedded in us. Yeah, it's very old, and it really, it really does come up out of childhood. But it drives us, and it drives us unconsciously to seek out. You know, whether whether it's you know the the black hair, black eyes, or the blonde hair and the blue eyes, or a combination thereof, uh, it's re- so repetitive. Mm-hmm. And yeah. the outcome is often similar, right? And the outcome is very, very similar. Right, right. It's very, very similar. And that's usually disastrously. 
disaster. Yeah, it's, it's like a there's a real pattern to to how uh, how it ends, and you know, just the whole thing of romance. You know, it's it's uh, you know, the, you not only have this attraction piece, all right, but you have the. It's such a mythology mm. that is just continuously been fed, you know, over and over again by film, by music, by television, uh, even even the stories that you know, perhaps our, our parents tell us about so-and-so and so-and-so marrying from here and marrying from there and whatever. But that, uh, you know, it's just so idealized. Right, because attraction becomes synonymous with romantic love. Mm, if we're absolutely. attracted, then it must be love, right? Yep. Because attraction is supposed to be physiological attraction too. Like the biology of attraction is supposed to be the thing that we think of as the indicator of um, compatibility. And then that has fed into this whole uh, myth of romantic love, which has actually been around a really, really, really long time, but has shown up most um, in a most pronounced way really since um, at the end of the Second World War. Right. With, of course, the growth of media and all sorts of other things where, you know, all these true love stories get told over and over. And the idea is that why is it a myth? Well, because romantic love is something that is temporary and it's not it's not the kind of love that is actually abiding, although it perceives itself as being eternal. So this is one this is one part of the myth. Right. Is that love is eternal. Right. And that. Uh, true love, true love can be easily distinguished from infatuation. So you might have all those physiological cues of infatuation, but, you know, in your infatuated mind, you convince yourself that this is really, in fact, true love. Um, because you can't actually discern the difference between infatuation and true love. But we Absolutely. think we can. Well, we think we can, but we can't. But we can't. That's part of the mythos, yeah. right? Well, it's part of the lies we tell ourselves. Yeah, exactly. And yeah. another aspect of the myth of romantic love is that, um, oh, this is a good one. My soulmate will know exactly what I want, exactly how I feel, exactly. Oh my God, there's a myth for you. Right? And yeah. that builds into this whole, like, this big uh, um, thing around expectations and visibility, wanting to be seen by the other, right? Well, yeah, I mean, that, that whole thing of just the soulmate, I mean, that just, you know, is, is, it feeds so many uh, myth, myths. People believe that when you meet your soulmate, you're just going to be happy ever after. If it really is your soulmate, you're probably going to be in for a long and bumpy ride. You complete me. <laughs> you, yes. You yes, complete you make me. me. There's right. a song about that. Yeah, uh, well, that's a, a big <laughs> thing from, um, oh, shoot. I can't remember, but I can hear it sort of way in the back. But Austin it's like, Powers. Uh, okay, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You complete yeah. me. You complete me. It's yeah. like no one can complete us. And, and we have, again, the mythology feeds that. Our language even feeds that. You know, yeah. I'd like you to meet my other half. Yeah. Really? I didn't realize that I was a half. Yeah. Uh, I'm whole. My partner is whole. So, But it's kind of weird to say I'd like you to meet my, starting with a W, whole. Right? right. So we have to say half. Right. Maybe this is my quarter. This is my quarter. <laughs> right. But you know, the, all, that, all that feeds into this idea, too, that love is all we need. That regardless of all the challenges all that happen. All we need is in, love. So yeah. There's so many songs written. There's so many the songs. The myth of romantic love, right? I know. I'm going to singing them all night. Yeah, exactly. Right. It's this <laughs> idea that um, in spite of all the hardship that we face during, you know, our lives, et cetera, et cetera, and all the arguments that we might have and all the challenges and everything like that, love is all you need. That's all you need. Exactly. Right? And it's just, uh, you know, it just feeds us into such a very complicated space because it, it feeds into the distortions that people already have, you know, right uh, about themselves, um, acceptability, my right to be on the planet, you know, if I'm loved, everything's okay. Am I good enough? Am I good enough? Am I cute enough? Am I tall enough? You know, all of those things. And it's and it's very, that's, that's you know, if you think about it, that's an awful uh, uh, weight to place on someone who becomes our partner. Right. Yeah. It also places, uh, it's also gendered, right? There's gendered expectations around that. So that. Oh, yeah. Um, the classic gendered expectations are that women are rescued. Yep. They're rescued by love. Yep. And they're loved into wholeness. That's part of the thing, right? And then the other thing, by whom? Well, in a heteronormative framework, it's the guy who rescues them and makes them complete and whole. And, and they the have guy a is horse. tamed by love. That's right. Absolutely. Samson. Yep. Yes. 
Absolutely. And when, when her love goes away, when Delilah's love is lost. Exactly. Right? Okay. We are at a point where we're going to take a break here for a couple of minutes for messages. And we will be right back with things worth considering. Find out what makes the most successful people tick. Keep listening to the Voice America Empowerment Channel. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com Imagine a place where ancient wisdom and modern research combine to create a non-judgmental, dynamic educational environment. We believe learning is much more than just theories. It is the application of those theories that anchor your learning deep inside yourself. Our physical, emotional, intellectual, and spiritual selves are embraced and nurtured, learning how to create an internal balance. This is Transformational Arts College of Spiritual and Holistic Training. Since 1988, we continue our mission of spiritually focused education for all who seek. We offer integrative personal development and professional training in spiritual psychotherapy, holistic health care, spiritual director, coaching, and esoteric studies. We are located in Lawrence Park in Toronto on Young Street, north of Lawrence Avenue. It's easy to get to and harder to leave. Visit our website at transformationalarts.com or inquire at TAC at transformationalarts.com or call us toll-free at 1-888-TAC-SELF. Transformational Arts, bringing body, mind, and spirit together. Have you had a chance to check out Voice America's online magazine and blog? If you love our hosts and shows, check out articles that give an even deeper perspective, plus topics about health and fitness, movie reviews, philosophy, business tips and tactics, spirituality, positive thought, current events, and even more about your favorite hosts. It's just a click away at blog.voiceamerica.com. That's blog.voiceamerica.com. The Voice America Press Blog. All access, all the time. Find out what makes the most successful people tick. Keep listening to the Voice America Empowerment Channel. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. are listening to Things Worth Considering with Gord Vidal and Dr. Jan Hill. We'd love to hear from you via email to info at spiritgrows.ca. That's info at spiritgrows.ca. Now, back to Things Worth Considering. Hi, welcome back. This is Gord Riddell, and I'm here with uh, Jan Hill, and uh, we're on Voice of America uh, on uh, Internet Radio. Um, Jan, what are we talking about here? We're talking about attraction. We're talking about these relationships that we get into. And I think You're you got something perfect. Till somebody loves you. You're nobody now, see, that's that's the kind of music that we're talking about. You're nobody till somebody loves you. It just feeds in such a horrible, you know, a horrible mentality that people actually believe that about themselves. You know, sometimes not being in a relationship is probably some of the nicest things people do for themselves. <laughs> do you well, talk about freedom? Yeah, yeah. Love can be an addiction, right? Yeah. Well, yeah. yeah. Right? Well, so can freedom. We can be addicted to love. Well, so can freedom. <laughs> I like freedom better. It's just that you jumped myself. up on the table and started yelling, freedom. <laughs> uh, you know, that that whole, uh, yeah, love love can be, you know, uh, an addiction. But, you know, so how do, how do we end up getting, you know, into into such the such a, a, a repetitive form of attraction and so on. So, you know, there's a, a couple by the name of Harville and Gay Hendricks, and they're relationship therapists, and they work with the whole theory of the imago, all right, like an image, imago, mm-hmm. right. So basically, what that does is you go through these really cool exercises, and you you list out, you know, all of the traits of your parents, you know, the good traits and the bad traits. And then you do with your dad, you do with your mom. And it's helping you to uncover what your unconscious image is of your ideal partner. And obviously, it's based somewhere in early childhood. It's what we observe. So then the next part of this exercise is that you put down all of your best traits and all of your worst traits. And you begin to take a look at, wow, I've got a little bit of mom, a little bit of dad, which would make sense, okay? But 
Now, here's here's a part as to why this is an important exercise, at least to me, I believe it to be important. And that is, is that it gets me to realize that I'm not attracted to their positive traits. So, for instance, right. I said humor. Humor is very important to me. That's my dad. My dad had, you know, he was he was the peacekeeper. But it's the traits that our parents had that stopped them from being able to meet our needs as children. So if we had a need, for instance, to, you know, have more physical contact, like to be hugged more often, and that wasn't part of their their relationship. So therefore, it wasn't part of my experience of being hugged as a child growing up and being affirmed. Therefore, I'm going to try and get that need met in a partner. Now, this is where it becomes a disaster. Right, of course. Because I don't realize that what I'm doing is I'm operating on, from that unconscious needs of, of getting my needs met. And so I'm going to be finding people who, for instance, don't hug. Right. So you're just going to repeat, be repeating the same pattern that you had with the parent. Exactly. If you wanting something from somebody that you could not get. Right. And it will, it will, repeat, it will repeat the same feelings and it will repeat the same pattern. So Which behavior. will just reify your own sense of self. Absolutely. Right. Absolutely. So now what I'm trying to do is to get you to hug me. Okay. But that's a part of you. So you don't do that. Yeah. Now hugging. I'm feeling bad about myself. So where, where am I going to put that? I'm going to direct it at you. Okay. All right. I'm going to direct it at you that if you, you know, if you were nicer, if you were sexier, if you hugged more, of course, being a male, I'm going to tie in a hug to sex, right? I mean, right. That's, of course. Of course. Uh, it has nothing to do with one or the other. Uh, but it becomes your fault. Right. Which will lead to then the relationship is going to explode and boom, I'm going to walk away because what I still don't realize is because you didn't meet a need that belongs from childhood. Right. And I'm going to find the next person right. who can't do the same thing. All right. So we're constantly, you know, sort of at a spouse that is um, basically one of our parents or both of our parents. And we're, we're, we're trying to shake them in order to get our needs met. And then it becomes all about our spouse until we actually do some work and, and, and bring, bring some of these ideas up into a level of consciousness. So it makes me think of the thing that Marianne Williamson says, and I think I believe it comes from A Course in Miracles, is this idea that what you feel is missing in a relationship is what you're not bringing. Well, yeah, I believe that. I believe that's, that's part of it. But it's also what you're not bringing is what you don't know. Right. Because I don't realize that there are things from, you know, say either one of my parents that that met certain needs still exist that were never properly met. And I'm still unconsciously, I don't even know what they are, but I'm still out there trying to get them met somehow. Right. You know, if I can name it them, it's very complicated, different. Gord. I'm so complicated. And it's all my parents' fault. Right. I'm exhausted just thinking them. of it. <laughs> no. I mean, think about it. You're you're the same way, and I won't. I'm not going to say anything about your parents. Uh, <laughs> uh, everybody out there is that complicated, for sure. Yeah, you know, we're we all have this this uh, an incredible like hodgepodge, this stew of needs that are there, and we, you know, I mean, the nicest thing we can do is find a whole bunch of people, not to be intimate with, find a whole bunch of people that can, you know, meet these various needs. Mm -hmm. Because to take that one set, a whole set of needs that I have, and dump them on you, is the unfairest thing I could possibly do. Right. Which, no one person, sorry, yeah. no one person can ever, ever meet anyone's needs. Which is interesting, right? Because that's antithetical to the myth of romantic love itself. Totally. That says that other person is going to know everything that you you want and need and you're never going to have to ask and it's just going to give it to you and everything is going to be great and that's what true love is. And we'll all live happily ever after right, right. into the sunset. Right. And then the horse breaks his leg. And that's it. Yeah, you know, I mean, it, it, it happens all the time. And you're left at the side of the road with a pile of baggage. And a whole bunch of needs. <laughs> <laughs> need a new Picture horse. Picture it. Uh, it's, it's, uh, but it's you know I mean there's there's elements that's the kind of stuff that feeds you know the romantic love idea the mythology feeds is that that one person will make make everything all better mm -hmm. and then we and then we're like well why did why didn't it why don't I feel better mm -hmm. and it's because one person can 
cannot even possibly to, to even have that expectation is is uh, setting ourselves up in such a negative way. Well, this is the thing, right? This is the foundation of expectations. Well, yeah. I mean, mm-hmm. if you, you know, the more expectations you have, the more likely uh, you are to be disappointed. Extremely. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, um, you know, one of, one of my, my, you know, just a side story here. One of my biggest expectations that I remember being so disappointed by was I went to Greece. Now, I was a bad boy when I was in school. Mm-hmm. So they gave me a year's worth of detention. Mm-hmm. So you either went to detention hall every morning at 8 a.m. and sat there for a year. Or you went to Greece? I Nope. I oh, went to okay. Greece, yeah. I had to take a course for credit. So the, one of the few courses that was open at 8 a.m. happened to be in ancient Greek. Oh, I was cool. already taking Latin, so I took an ancient Greek course. Cool. So it was great because it was not just the language. It was also the culture and archaeology and so on. So finally, I get to go to Greece years later. And I am anticipating that the the uh, uh, Acropolis would be from no matter where I was in Athens, I'm going to be looking at the seat of Western civilization. Oops. Yeah, oops is right. Uh, it was like three blocks away before I saw this little thing in the background through these, yeah, through these houses. Because the art like, history that? books make it look so big. So huge. And I was I was dashed. It was like I was so disappointed and so disillusioned, and it was at that point that I realized how much expectations really, really just set ourselves up, you know, going out on a date, and you expect, you know, that there's going to be fireworks, and there's going to be bells, and you can barely get through the conversation because you can't get the conversation to even get off the ground. Right. And we walk away so disappointed. But, I mean, what happens to that disappointment is, we, we, we put it right across the entire dating spectrum. Of it's course. Not just the fact I didn't click with you. It's like you and you and you and you. You know, like anybody I've ever gone out with is like, why do I even try? I think part of it is, is we generalize um, unfairly, absolutely. But, I mean, if we follow the idea of the imago, we're actually just repeating the same story with person after person after person. Marriage so, after marriage. you know, so you say, oh man, in that very first relationship, I was, I don't know, betrayed, right? And then the next relationship, because you're dating the same kind of person, you're like, oh man, in the second relationship, I was betrayed, you know? And the third and the fourth, betrayed, 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 right? Yep. So actually, if you're dating the same kind of person, then, and the stories go in the same direction, then... Of course, you're going to generalize because that's you're going to have a limited experience of relationships. And what I find really interesting is the idea that we like relationships are really where we learn about ourselves. Right. Have you ever had that experience where in one relationship you're the punctual person and you're like, oh, yeah, you know, I'm always here five minutes early. And that Why did you bring always up punctuality late. with me. Yeah. What's it? Oh, no. Okay. <laughs> or the other, yeah. I'm not I'll tell you, much. listeners, he's a little <laughs> bit late for everything. <laughs> by me, by me and then, but the other thing is, and then in another relationship, you know, you might be the late person yep. because that person, you might still be there five minutes early, but that person's there five minutes before you. Exactly. Right? exactly. So we learn, you actually learn, what do you feel more comfortable with? Do you feel more comfortable being the person waiting for another person? Or do you, are you more comfortable being the person who's waited for? Right, right. 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 No, it, it is true. It is true. I, I've, uh, I mean, I've done it myself, you know, where, uh, you know, from going to the lighthearted one to the serious grown up in the mm. relationship. And, and, you know, it, based on who the person is, is that it, it keeps changing. It keeps, alter, you know, altering. Uh, and, I, and I find that fascinating. And the, and the bottom line is, is that we just haven't uncovered that part yet that feeds that. Right. You know, whatever. It can be anything. It can be absolutely anything. You say punctuality, I'm saying, you know, in terms of just personality presentation of serious versus, you know, humorous or childlike or immature. Right. Um, <laughs> right. Yeah. And it's interesting because the next person and the next person and the next person you date, you might first perceive them as being very different from each other. So, for example, if you're like, oh, that one's like my dad, that one's like my mom, Right. So you might be able to draw a list of traits where person A is like your dad and person B is like your mom. But underneath it, they also share common traits that are at a deeper level where you kind of go, oh, my God, they're actually both like my mom or they're <laughs> both like my dad. Exactly. In those capacities, and we don't right? see it. We don't see it. We don't see it. it you know, it looks it looks like it's a mystery. Know, yeah, totally. It's like 180 degrees is still, you know, of sick. 180 degrees is still sick. Yeah. You know, so it's that 
that opposite ends. But that opposite end looks different. It feels different. And we fall for it every time. Yep. And yet sitting there in the middle is exactly the same thing. Yeah. So, so neediness or they're, you know, they're controlling or they're what, whatever it's going to be. Right. You know, human relationships are worthy of more than one hour of talking. Oh, my God. I think we, we need to keep talking. Like for two hours? Sure, but not right now. Okay. I'm getting hungry. Okay. <laughs> time to go eat? It's time to go eat pretty soon. Okay. Yeah. Uh, you know, I think that there's there's um, a, a number, number of things. Not only do we have the attraction issue uh, and how, how all of that plays out, uh, but we also then have, you know, a lot of skill sets that we just don't have. The mythology or the romance or the, the, the Hollywood fiction doesn't allow for us to, to really see that, in fact, there we're lacking. We're lacking just in skill sets. I think one of the biggest ones is conflicts. Oh, absolutely. What and do you, you mean know, by that? like relationships have stages, right? They go through different, different. Kind I don't want to go through stages. I want to talk to you Different right places, now. right? If we have, we might be really, really good at being with somebody in the state of attraction, but we don't know how to transform that attraction into something more abiding. True. Right. So all you're doing is arguing. Exactly. Don't overtalk me. You'll have this whole relationship that's constituted around this one stage that you're good at. Yep. And then it's like, well, I don't know how to get to year five, or I don't know how to get to year ten with somebody, or whatever your year number is, right? Exactly. And so day ten. That's where the skill set is. Day ten. That's where the skill set is, right? Why won't you argue with me? Is it? Like, <laughs> um, but that's where the skill set is, right? And that's where each one of us can then be accountable for what it is that we're able to do or not able to do in a relationship, and build our own skills. Absolutely, absolutely. Right? You know, and, and again, you know, although we've been talking about you know sort of romantic love uh, or intimate uh, sexual love. Uh, you know, this, these traits though overflow, we can surround ourselves with, you know, friends and everything that are exactly the same as, as who we're dating. Right. You know, and so we also don't have a lot of, uh, skill sets sometimes to keep long-term friendships going. That's exactly right. It's which the are same so deal. important. So important. Um, so, uh, we're coming up to the end of the show already. Um, so I think I, I think we know where we're, we're headed to. Uh, that I think we should be talking about conflict. Okay. Yeah, you want to be in conflict next week? Okay, let's talk about conflict. No, let's be in conflict. Okay, we can do cool. that. Cool, okay. So, as long as we do aliens after that. Um, we'll, we'll talk about that. Okay. We may have to argue about it. Okay, I want aliens. <laughs> All right. <laughs> um, if you are in the Toronto area tomorrow evening, which is March 22nd, um, we'd like to uh, have you come on out. Yeah, Jan and I will both be there for the Compassion Circle. It's uh, held at 3300 Young Street at the Transformational Arts College. And uh, you're more than welcome to come out. There's no charge. And it is a um, uh, donation only. Mm-hmm. And it's a meditation and it's a great spiritual place to, to come and hang out and meet some people. Uh, so we will be back here in a week. All right. Uh, look, hopefully we'll see some of you uh, tomorrow evening on Friday. And we're going to be talking about conflict resolution. This is Gord Riddell and Jan Hill. And we're wishing you a great week. Bye-bye, everybody. Bye now. Thank you for tuning into Things Worth Considering. Please join your hosts, Dr. Jan Hill and Gord Riddell, for another edition next Thursday at 5 p.m. Pacific Time and 8 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. This week, think about the connections in your life and how they define who you are.